Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional owners of the land that we make this podcast. And I extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that are listening to this episode. Yama. G'day, I'm Rowdy Walden, podcaster, writer, TV host, and you might have even heard me talk about sex before, but this, this is Talking Frank. This podcast will cover every nook and cranny of Australia's sex life, from the headspins of modern dating to unexpected fluids to STI checks. We're going to get frank about it. For this ep, I want to talk about HIV. There are an estimated 29,000 people living with HIV in Australia, and of that, over 3,000 of them are women, which, if my maths is correct, means that women make up just over 12% of people living with HIV, which is probably a stat you didn't think existed. Our stigma towards HIV still exists, even though so many Australians are living with the virus. Come on, let's be frank about HIV. I'm sitting here today with our guest, Emil Kenita, who you might know from his Instagram, Baby Dilk. Dilks? Dilf. Dilf. Is it still Dilf? Well, because I got cancelled, I thought the X was just my way of saying I've been (laughs) cancelled. I'm just adding an X every time. I mean, you know you've made it these days when you've been cancelled. Truly. Emil is a Melbourne-based artist with a focus on exploring sex through his art. He's also living with HIV and has spent the last few years pouring himself into HIV work and awareness. Emil, on Talking Frank, we always have a DM that's sent in by a listener um, that's a a problem they've got or a story they want to share that's about um, something to do with the episode. Um, And we've had this one sent in by a young lady who's asked to stay anonymous. So our producer, Sarah, is going to read it out. But yeah, shout if you have any reflections or if you want to pause it to discuss. I'm 26 years old and I was diagnosed with HIV six years ago. I was on holiday with four of my best mates when I met the partner who infected me. It was a holiday fling and not anything that I had thought twice about. I mean, I knew we should have used protection, but I just figured it would be fine. Okay, firstly for me, the term infected, that's the wrong language to use, right? Yeah, so the... Because infection kind of implies an intent. Mm. Very often now when people talk about this, they say they contracted it because when it comes to a sexual engagement with everyone, you're both agreeing to that, whatever that circumstances is. Mm. And as this said, I think it really kind of captured it in her message where she said, well, at this time, I thought we'll just go without the protection. So in that context, she consented to that situation. Yeah, I think the, the, the term infection almost implies like it being premeditated. Totally, totally. And what we've come to learn over time is that, yeah, very often people who do have HIV just don't know they actually have it. So, yeah, so it's definitely a lot more nuanced and complex. And very often, yeah, it's just you've just connected with someone who doesn't even know. I'll continue. I started to feel sick a few months after my trip. I got headaches, a rash and nausea. I thought it was a bug or something and that it would pass. But after three months, I found myself in hospital. I went into shock. I remember my mom and my sister then meeting me in hospital and everybody crying. To be honest, it's taken me five years to come to grips with my diagnosis properly. It was tough at the start not to isolate myself. For years, I self-sabotaged my relationship with my friends and potential partners because I struggled to cope with the stigma myself. But I've learned to look after myself much better now. I had to re-educate myself and be kinder to me. You're like clapping along. (laughs) Love. I mean, it's... Sadly, like even to this day, the average person get, getting diagnosed with HIV um, tends to find out three or four years after they've contracted it. Wow. That's in Australia. Wow. Yeah. 
because very often they're at the point where they're quite sick already um, and people are finding out, usually doctors are finding out, be like, okay, well, we've done all the tests. What haven't we done? And then someone be like, oh, what about HIV? Mm. That's usually how it case. And like, you know, structurally and culturally, we could really see this from just the lack of HIV awareness, the general HIV awareness that's happening. Um, us being able to really think about HIV, not just affecting gay people. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's kind of like the same discourse that we hear with sex workers, like the safest people you can have sex with are sex workers. And in so many ways, like, you know, a lot of men who have sex with men, gay, bi folks, queer folks are actually getting tested or very often getting tested at least once a year, every three months. And yeah, as some people I know, once every month, depending Mm. on how busy and popular they are. It always shocks people when I tell them that stat about how many women have HIV in Australia. And it's not like a, you know, gotcha, women get it as well. But the stigma that we have that, you know, even this young lady that uh, sent in her message, like she's just a young girl on holiday who's now living with HIV. Yeah. I'm now on HIV treatment and there is effectively no risk of me even passing on the virus or anything like that. I play sports, I graduated from uni, I work full-time as an artist, and the same as any other girl, remember that HIV doesn't discriminate. Yes, queen. Oh, my God. I'm kind of hating myself for using that term. But I'm like, yes. Yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up, though, that, you know, there are so many treatments uh, in available and they're all world class, even the preventative medications, you know, like pre-exposure prep. Pep, pep. Yes. So, like, a, a great way to kind of, like, remind people about it. So, PEP, P-E-P, is uh, the morning after pill for HIV. So that if you think you're at risk, you have up to 72 hours, so three days, to go to any emergency department and ask for PEP. And then PrEP is kind of being on the pill, but it's for HIV prevention. I know women, straight men, queer folks who are on it Mm. and not having that anxiety and worry. I think the best way to actually approach sexual health is one, if you are sexually active, even if you're using condoms, assume that STI is just a normal part of an active sex life, Mm -hmm. you know, like very often you don't even get sick, like getting the flu from meeting another person, you know? So an STI really, if you think about it, it's such an event. Mm. Um, but also at the same time, there's just different ways of actually how to prevent it. Like just doing regular testing, making it as a normal part of, you know, like how you just maintain yourself. There's so many other ways that you can do for yourself to actually just destigmatize yourself from STI and, and HIV more importantly. Yeah, I mean, she was she was lucky. She said she got tested a few months after her trip. So, you know, uh, lucky to catch it and seek treatment early, I reckon. Mm, well, even the ones that we do come across now, like, you know, like uh, I know one guy whose immune system was so low, basically. Mm. It was close to zero, like the T cells that they count in terms of measuring um, how strong your immune system is, is basically close to zero. And within a matter of months, they were able to get him to what they call undetectable, which is practically what the women said. It's like, you know, you get to this point where HIV treatment, where it's so effective now, some clinicians and community advocates are even calling it a functional cure to HIV. Mm. Because if you think about it, you can have children, um, you know, like you live as long as everyone else. The studies now are saying that people like me could live up to 80, 90, Um, you know, so it's just... So much of how we've conceptualized HIV is still very much rooted to 40 years of trauma. Yeah. And unfortunately, when it comes to something as traumatic as an HIV epidemic, it's just not as easy as saying to someone, 
look, we've got this change, but it's such a, you know, like it's really learning to bring along um, each and everyone through that journey. And I think even having these small discussions could really help people get there. Well, thank you for sending that DM in. And if you want to share your story or if you have a question, you too can slide on into the DMs. All right, I want to pivot now and talk about you. Tell me a bit about yourself and what you do for work. Okay, so my name's Emil. It's like having a meal, but you're having me. That's what I always say. <laughs> uh, my pronouns are he, she, and they. I am a peer navigator at a positive organization called Living Positive Victoria here in um, Nam, also known as Melbourne. Um, and predominantly what I do with my day job is that I, you know, connect with a lot of people newly diagnosed or just coming to terms with their HIV diagnosis with a big focus on migrants and other people coming from other countries and create programs for them to basically try and alleviate some of the issues that they're dealing with or providing resources for them. So for example, right now I'm providing workshops to just help people um, share their status with their lovers, friends, and families. Mm -hmm. Um, And another one to kind of just connect them with the wider community, because like you said, there's women living with HIV, there's trans folks living with HIV, there's straight men living with HIV and all sorts. And to just really destigmatize ourselves from how we've contextualized HIV um, is very, very much important for me. So that's me in the day. And then at night, um, I'm a practicing artist. I don't know if I'm still practicing at this point, but uh, like you said, with my work earlier on uh, with my art practice, I use sex a lot as a tool to tackle uh, stigmas around it, particularly around kink, um, sex work, and being an HIV positive person in Melbourne. Um, This episode is all about HIV and HIV diagnosis. How old were you when you found out? Uh, I was 22. I was 22 on New Year's Day on my way to my mom. Wow. And that, like, you um, had been tested before and you got the message that day? No, I was with my partner. I had a partner at that time and he got back from China a few months ago and he got a bit sick. He didn't go full sick. He just Mm -hmm. got, like, a little flu and we thought it was nothing. And then um, he got tested for HIV, um, yeah, around Christmas. And that's when he found out. Damn. So he kind of just gave me the news. So we weren't really expecting it. And, yeah. You know, like we just, we just, yeah, we, it was one of those situations where, oh, I have it. So you you, know? you immediately knew that you had it? Well, I just assumed because we we haven't been using condoms the whole time we were together. Um, so in my head, I'm just like, I probably have it now, you know? Yeah, because it's we've been seeing each other for close to a year. Mm. Were you filled with fear or were you educated enough to know what was what was ahead of you? Um, it was a mixture of both and a lot more. Because this happened to me while I was volunteering for the AIDS Council, the local AIDS Council, Queensland AIDS Council at that time. And I was going to the clubs, going to the sex clubs, the saunas, telling everyone how to stay safe. So, you know, I felt like a failure. Mm. And I was young, I was 22. I didn't have that emotional intelligence yet not to kind of blame myself. But I really felt like I'm like, oh my God, I feel like a hypocrite. Um, And at the same time, my partner at the time was just felt so bad. He felt so terrible about what happened. Mm. And he really, you know, the level of guilt he had from, you know, thinking that, you know, he's the one to blame and he changed my life forever, rah, 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 was out during my diagnosis, I was more mostly supporting him because I know in my head, I'm like, okay, once I turn undetectable, that's fine. It's just, 
a matter of getting there. Mm. So it's been mostly me um, supporting my partner. And uh, to be honest with you, I just went as if things were the same. You know, I just acted like it was the same, that I was still the same person. And I didn't find out that I could potentially have HIV for at least three or four months. Wow. And then what, yeah. like, what did you, you got, obviously you went and got tested and then did you start treatment straight away or was there? No. Um, so I, cause when I got tested shortly after that, my tests were still coming up negative because what a lot of people don't also know is that with HIV, you have what they call a window period. And a window period is when the virus uh, takes time to get a hold of your body and actually start showing up in your system. Mm. Um, and the window period lasts for about six weeks to, or at least three months after. Um, so when I first got tested, I was negative. Um, and it still took me about two and a bit months to find out that I was. And it was at a point where I, I got what they call seroconverted. I had rashes everywhere. My lymph nodes were like around all over my neck i had bumps in my body that i never thought existed i lost 10 kilos in a week like i knew i was sick when i ordered kfc and i couldn't eat it like you know like you know when you kind of that's like, when you like, know oh, it's going downhill truly that was that like oh god i think i'm unwell like wow. while i have all this sore all over my body <laughs> if you know that you've potentially contracted hiv because you yeah. know you've been sleeping with a partner that's hiv positive can you yeah. start the treatment then or do you have to wait for a positive diagnosis you have to wait for a positive diagnosis right. because you also don't know if you actually want contracted it at this stage you're just kind of waiting around basically wow yes and it took me around close to six months from that point to even have access to treatment because when i got diagnosed that was only when recommendations around hiv treatment have changed because back then they used to wait for your um, t cells or like your immune system levels to be quite low to put you on treatment because there was a lot of hesitation about like you know because once you are on treatment you have to take the treatment once a day you have to be on the pills your whole life mm. so there was a lot of hesitation about you know changing lifestyles and luckily at that time, when I got diagnosed, they were like, look, if you have HIV, just go on treatment now because we know you're going to have a better life. So for me then, because I knew I'm detectable, I'm like, yes, get me on the pill. And I just kind of wanted to get back to a normal life or as normal as I wanted to be. Yeah. And yeah, I became undetectable quite quickly. Like within a month and a half, I was undetectable. Wow. Um, so when you found out that you were positive with HIV, what treatment did you get? Uh, so I got it, they call it an ARV, which is an antiretroviral uh, treatment. And I got a treatment called Triamec. But we've got so many different kinds of treatment because when you do get a diagnosis, they first check the, what sort of virus you have. Mm -hmm. And then from that, based on what works for you um, biologically, and then match you with the right treatment. So very right. often now, people newly diagnosed just get one pill. Um, so for me, I have like a pink little pill that I take once a day. But very recently, just this year, we have a new HIV treatment now, which you get as our injectables. Oh. So every couple of months, you could just go see your doctor and get injected for the HIV treatment. And then that's it. You don't even have to take the daily pill anymore. Um, and I know there's similar tests for that for PrEP. And like, I don't know if you know Implanon, like, you know, that bar. Right. Like the Implanon is that long-term form of contraception that you just put in your arm for a couple of years. Yep. So that's also in development right now for PrEP and hopefully for HIV treatment too. So we're slowly moving on to a point where people don't even have to take the daily pill anymore. Yeah. So you, you got diagnosed by the doctor, then you went to the other clinic to get re-diagnosed for your moment. Was it a, a simple prescription or was there, there, there a yeah. process? So after that clinic, um, event, I got 
pushed to the public health system. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that, I went to this clinic where they did the sophisticated testing. Um, and then, yeah, within a few, a week or two after that, I came back there and basically got the prescription. It was all very straightforward, easy. And this is one of the biggest lessons that I've learned mm-hmm. through my HIV diagnosis is that you have a choice about what care you get. And I think very often, because it's the first doctor that you talk to, it's the first thing that you talk to that you think that's the quality. No, ma'am. Like there's such a plethora of amazing providers out there. Because mm-hmm. especially when you have HIV, there's a lot of HIV specialized clinics and they're normally the best ones. Mm-hmm. And normally they also bulk bill. You just navigate the health system so much easier and you don't have to explain anything to them. They're just there and they understand the virus and you don't feel stigma. None of that. So there's just like basically clinics designed to look after people like us. And yeah, there's some of the best. So I suggest to anyone living with HIV, if you can, and if you're not enjoying the kind of relationship that you have with your doctor, please don't hesitate to move around, ask your community or look up HIV specialized clinic because they've truly changed my life. I think for a lot of people, there's some anxiety around going to get tested. Like, mm. you know, even myself, there, there are moments where I'm like, nervous because I'm, you know, concerned about what the might, what the test might undertake or whatever. But what was your experience like? Was there any, did you go to a regular GP? Like, were you worried about the mishandling of your information or, you know, people finding out that you had HIV? Because, you know, there, there are specialised clinics, but maybe, you know, GPs are, you know, I think people would, people would have a bit of anxiety about going to their family GP to get tested. Yes, 100%. Um, well, in my case, I I just went to my uni GP and, uh, you know, at that point, it was more of just like getting the answer or having that moment. Like, because I'm like, okay, I have an HIV diagnosis. Give me my cinematic yeah. moment. Be like, I have HIV and then I probably <laughs> have a moment, like, you know, well around. A wind machine comes yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I didn't have that because the guy, the guy who tested me, unfortunately, and this is what we're finding now with a lot of the newer diagnoses these days, they're not getting diagnosed from specialized sexual health clinics. They're getting diagnosed at a random clinic, a smart clinic somewhere Mm. that has a doctor who don't even specialize with HIV. So very often we have people that are experiencing stigmatizing experiences with HIV because the doctor that they have just don't have the knowledge or language to actually support someone with HIV. Um, So for me, I had that kind of experience. My doctor was just like, oh, you have HIV. I've never dealt with this before call this number and they will help you. Oh, damn. And for me, it was very much like, oh my God, where's my moment? So <laughs> I actually waited like a few weeks because I think I was like, oh my God, like I hate this, how this happened. Mm. So it took me another few weeks to even go to Rapid, the clinic that I ended up working at, to actually get tested there because I knew I can get my HIV result in 20 minutes. And you could also have your moment. Plot twist, I didn't, I didn't get my moment oh. then because the person testing me was more excited about the fact that I was the first person they diagnosed with HIV. Oh. I know, girl. But oh yeah, it's actually the reason why, one of the key reasons why I work in HIV now, because I had such an awful introduction to the diagnosis yeah. that if I could do in my way to provide a better kind of engagement experience for someone newly diagnosed, I feel like, you know, I've done my work. Yeah. So it, it wasn't so much of a bad thing. I think it's been learning, a learning experience for everyone. And I have a great relationship with that guy now. Um, <laughs> oh, you still keep in touch? <laughs> 
Yeah. Hi, Izzy. <laughs> <laughs> like an annual reunion of the day you found out with Izzy. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I think we spoke about it a little bit earlier, but yeah. one of the things that still baffles me about HIV and even my own, you know, I feel like I'm part of the problem here as well, is the stigma that's attached to it. What was it like for you? Was there any, did you have to, you know, have a HIV coming out party to your friends and family? No, look, and I think, like I said earlier on, stigma exists among everyone, regardless of your status. Therapy really helps a lot, and meeting other positive people helps a lot. And like you said earlier on, when you were experiencing this anxiety, I think it's very normal. Like, a lot of us, particularly queer folks, have been indoctrinated to a fear of HIV. You know, how often do you hear those stories to be like, oh, I came out to my family and the first thing they said to me was don't get HIV. Like, you know, but like, it's such a message that a lot of us get exposed to. And very often when we do talk about our identities, it's the disease that comes up in people's heads. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, gay, don't get AIDS. Mm. It's just that. It's so simplified. And sadly, we are surrounded and are still very much living in that culture right now. The, being connected, like having conversations with other people about it really helps a lot. Meeting other positive people helps a lot because you get to humanize the experience too. Um, and just letting yourself feel the feels. Because I think when you do start to recognize, oh, I have this real fear, anxiety about HIV, it's a really great way to also tackle that, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah, sadly, there's like a, not a straightforward answer to that one. And even for me with my own diagnosis, it took me about two years to really come out to anyone. Just to be able to say the words. Yeah, well, I said it to my best friend at that time. Um, and, you know, like he was my best Judy. Um, and he found out within a month and he was also on prep. So it was kind of very easy. And even now, like I, even through my experiences now, I don't really share my HIV status unless I think that it's needed, but it's the whole idea of like, do I have to tell my chronic illness to anyone that I meet? That I'm like, hi, I'm HIV positive and mentally ill. How are you? Like, Yeah, it's, it's like, just, it's not my personality. It's not my whole worth. Yeah, I know I'm functionally cured from HIV. I'm not putting them at risk. Why would I risk my own safety mm. from someone potentially harassing me or abusing me because of their own HIV stigma? Most very often than not, it's just us keeping ourselves safe because mm. the reality is stigma exists out there and we just don't want any random person abusing us because of that. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing your story because I feel like it's these conversations that help us move the conversation along where people can hear that, you know, a diagnosis like this is not the be-all and end-all and that people can still be as smart and funny and charming as you. <laughs> um, I hope so. <laughs> you, know, you know, without it being the sort of end of their life or the end of their sex life, you know? No, very not. Like, in fact, I've become more popular and more the actual <laughs> show, um, it Honestly, it's... You imagine about it, like, and this is very often for a lot of positive people that I talk to, like this, your whole life, you've been so anxious of having sex, doing all of these stuff because of HIV. You get it. And then you realize you're okay, alive and well. There's this reaction that kind of like, you know what? Well, I've actually embodied this thing that I've been afraid of my whole life. Mm. Made me realize I can just do whatever I want. So, and you hear this very often for a lot of positive people. HIV has saved people's lives or in fact made it better because it helped them to have a better emotional relationship with themselves. It helped them to have a better 
physical relationship with themselves and made them feel more connected to family and friends. I'm not kind of like advocating everyone should get HIV to have this transformative experience, but, and also because of the resources and support that's available for people living with HIV now, yeah. people are, are getting to a point where I, I'd like to think are in a very, very similar, similar experience or relationship to HIV as me now. Um, because yeah, I, I wouldn't be here without the advocates before me and the wonderful positive people and people our community that have help Australia be at the leading of HIV prevention and treatment. Well, I think that's where HIV and even STIs stigma comes from. It's like you've finally faced the thing that you feared the most head on. Right. Yeah. For those who don't know much about HIV, what are the most important things to know? Oh, good question. So HIV is a virus and it's predominantly transmitted through blood. Um, normally through anal sex. Yes, I think that's the most common, but also you can contract these um, through semen or vaginal fluids, I I hear. Yes, and it's something that is also not easy to transmit. So just to give into context, in the whole population of Australia, only Uh, 0.1% of the population has it. It's about 27 to 29,000 people have it. You know, so it goes to show how extremely rare this virus is. But in saying that, if you do get it, um, the HIV treatment today, um, if not, is for free for a lot of other states um, or very easy to access. And you can get that as soon as you're diagnosed. And normally within a few months, sometimes even a month with some people that they become what they call undetectable. And you can just live a normal and healthy life if you want to. Um, in saying that, though, it's just really important that if you do get diagnosed with HIV or know someone living with it, the importance of being connected to community, you know, just or just meeting someone or knowing someone who's also living with HIV, because that isolation is really the biggest issue that a lot of people living with HIV experience. And, you know, like just hearing how other people experience it and knowing how other people navigate this disease is just so, so helpful mm. um, because you, you do start to realize that you're not alone and you're part of this bigger HIV community and history that exists. I think for a lot of different states, for example, in Victoria, we have quite a, a big population of people living with HIV, I think close to like five or 7,000. Um, so there's a lot of us out there and you'd be surprised that you may be living or working someone who's HIV positive and you just don't know it. Mm. What if if people are concerned that they that they may be potentially diagnosed with HIV? What are the signs and symptoms that they can look out for? So, look, this is where it gets a bit kind of a gray area because you could literally have no symptoms or signs for HIV and right. get it. Yeah. Because initially, I was misdiagnosed for having glandular fever. Uh-huh. So that's usually what a lot of people um, experience when they go through what they call a seroconversion. Because the reality is, with your body and how it reacts to viruses or any kind of when you get sick is it's very similar to other diseases. That's why, like, you know, when you do say these symptoms, you're like, oh, I'm feeling all of these things. The doctors would do, normally just say, if they don't think about HIV, they're like, oh, it's probably glandular fever, he's the pill. But then that's when the behavioral aspect of it needs to be talked about. It'd be like, how did, you know, what are the things that I've done that you think may be associated with it? Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I think if you, if you are feeling just quite unwell, just get tested for HIV. Just get tested. Um, yeah, um, there's a lot of free sexual health clinics, particularly in main cities that you can go to. There's a number of peer-run clinics that can get you rapid testing, which means you can get that within 
uh, 20 minutes mm -hmm. via like a finger prick thing. Um, yeah, so this is actually really helpful. So just knowing that there's a diversity of testing options available for you is great. And bringing a friend doesn't hurt too. I know for me on my first time, I brought my best friend over. And then you can go to brunch afterwards and make a day of it. No, totally. That's what we did. <laughs> Uh, Emil, thank you so much for coming on Talking Frank. Is there anything that you want to say that you haven't mentioned yet or that you want to jump on the soapbox for? Uh, yeah, well, I just, I guess this stress on to reflect on my life as a person living with HIV. We've really come at a point in our lives right now where we can just enjoy the sexual liberties of what it means to be living as a person in the 21st century, you know, and I hope that um, everyone's just in a safe space or safe community or have a great relationship with themselves where they feel safe enough to explore their sexuality, to heal from any sexual trauma or trauma that they've experienced. But to also know that there's uh, a lot of other people out there that you haven't met yet um, that's going to accept you and um, be a really good friend for support and help. So, yeah. Amazing. Emil, thank you so much. Well, that's another episode of Talking Frank done and dusted. Thank you for listening. And thank you to the young woman who DM'd us and to Emil for both sharing their stories. If you want more information, you can go to frank.org.au, give the Family Planning Australia talk line a buzz, or there's some extra information in the show notes below. And in the Strip Down app, I'm going to be diving a little deeper into the methods of HIV prevention. So make sure you tune in. I mean, you're already here. To be frank, though, I think we should all stop this podcast and go get tested.